From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 450. Today's show is brought to you by ExpressVPN and Capital One. I'm Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike Hurley. I'm back two, two in a row for me. Mm-hmm. Look, Look at, at that. You. Making a streak here in episode 450. We're starting a new record. <laughs> Can you go? What would it be? Oh. So you went to, you got like 447. So now you have to get to 448 yeah, episodes. Even then I cheated by recording segments. and Doesn't it, matter. You know, Doesn't it, matter. We, but we've broken the glass now. So now yep. when I go on vacation again. It's going to be uh, a full time. We'll just, yeah. Well, Every see, ever? here's the problem. <laughs> my um, my lovely wife uh, has a real job uh-huh. and limited vacation time. Uh-huh. So I could just go whenever. You whenever know? you want. But I, I, but I can't. So, yeah, exactly. I have a Snell Talk question for you. It comes from David. David wants to know, what device do you use the most for iMessage? I feel like this is really just a proxy for what device you use the most, at least for me, because yeah. I yeah. am usually using a device. And so I'm going to disappoint people, I suppose, or at least I'm going to once again say what I've said on the show before, which is I am not your typical uh, Apple product user in the sense that I don't use my iPhone very much. I don't go outside. I don't I, like, right. Like, and when I do go outside, I often, I just bring my Apple watch. So the answer is probably my Mac, uh, but maybe my iPad. Cause it's all contextual and I'm usually either on my Mac or my iPad. And if I'm not on them, the, the iPad is close to me. The phone generally sits in its, on its charger. So it's mm-hmm. usually not at hand at any point unless I'm out and about. So I would say, you know, it's either my Mac or my iPad, depending on context. So that's that's the truth of it, is I just don't use my iPhone very much. For me, I'm not sure of the exact answer. It's It's probably my iPhone because of weekends, right? So like I'm not sitting in front of the Mac or at my desk on the weekends, right? So I'm texting now on my phone. But I know that recently I have come to want to more frequently send iMessages at my Mac because I like to use my actual nice keyboard, keyboard rather than yeah. the iPhone keyboard. Yep. Um, I'm less likely to have autocorrect issues <laughs> and stuff like that. But I, I think realistically, it's probably my iPhone because I am only at a Mac between, whenever I'm at the studio. Outside of that, I'm going to be using my iPhone. If you would like to send in, a snow talk question of your own just go to upgradefeedback.com and you can tick the box fill it out and your question may be answered on a future episode we have some follow-up jason snow okay julian and michael both wrote in to suggest we were talking about two-factor codes and sms's and stuff like that that they create a contact for their two-factor codes and then add all of the numbers that you get codes from to it i've heard i think john syracuse recommend this before Mm-hmm. The reason I've never done this is because I'm too lazy to do it, to be honest, is the real reason. Yeah. Uh, the, if it was simple, fine. But the, the idea of having to do that all the time, I've just never done it. Plus, up until very recently, I had significant issues with my contacts and like them saving across mm. devices to the point where maybe a, this is a few months ago, I exported my contacts on my Mac and I deleted them all. I ran and then I ran them back in again, did a deduping thing and busy. I think it was busy contact I used, deduped all my contacts because they had triplicated over time. 
so I de-duped them all, put them back in, and now it's all perfect. If I had a contact on one device, it syncs up on another. This has been years this has been going on for, so these are the two reasons. I did create a, uh, a, a Mr. Two-Factor contact, and I'm trying that out. But I think our larger point was it would be nice if the the system knew that these were just two-factor codes and kind of hide, hide, yeah. just hid them, right? Or did more, right? Because we know that they do. We know that they do. I think maybe Android does that. Out, uh, somebody said, mm. like, after a couple of weeks, Android kind of, like, suppresses them because they know that they're just that makes sense. not important. And I just I feel like that's a, an area that Apple could explore. I do have a funny thing in my... found. This is a tangent, but a funny thing I, I found in my uh, contacts, okay. if, you'd like to, if you'd like to see it. Yeah, I'd love to see. So this is like stupid contact tricks. Uh-huh. So when I go to Arizona, uh, my mom lives really far outside. And I used to rent a car, but car rental now is incredibly expensive. And I discovered that there's this real cottage industry in my mom's community out in the middle of nowhere where people from that community make money dry, basically picking up people and at the airport and driving them back or driving people from that community to the airport. Uh-huh. But the, it's not. it's really kind of like a... Uh, transitory kind of job. People get other jobs. Like the first guy who drove me, he was like also selling real estate on the side. And then the last time he took me, he was like, "Yeah, I'm stopping. I, I, you, you set this up, so I, I'm driving you. But I, I'm, I'm out of the driving business, and I'm in the real estate business now full time. And so they keep moving around, and sometimes they're not available, and they recommend other people. And as a result, at the bottom of my contacts list, I have this collection that I sent you the screenshot. Uh, in the Discord, this collection of people who are all first names followed by a car emoji of some sort. So I've got, you know, Dan Carr, Dan Blue Car, Ryan Blue Car, Chris Red Car. And then uh, yesterday I put in, while I was trying to find somebody to take me to my mom's house, Bart, Carol, and Mary taxi emoji. And that that's how they live. They're all, I have a little car, car fam hmm. down there at the bottom. Do these people do like Uber and Lyft as well? Some of them do. Right. Some of them do Uber and Lyft as well. Uh, absolutely. Does your mom live in like a village kind of? Because this feels very villagey to me. It It is. Uh, so she's more than an hour outside of the Phoenix airport. In, and, and it's in a town, but it's actually not in that town. It's it's out. Yeah. I mean, basically, it's like a housing development where there's a, there's just a, a load of houses. And on one side of the street, it's the 55 plus community. And on the other side of the street, anybody can live there. And there's like pools and and, you know, pickleball courts and whatever else. Like there's all that stuff is there. Huh. Um, so it is a little bit like. Yeah, like she's in a community that's been plopped down, not quite out in the middle of nowhere, but real close to the middle of nowhere. So that's contact. Uh, we've spent some time recently on this show, on my other shows too, talking about live activities and where they're popping up and where they're not. And I saw on uh, one of my favorite web blogs, sixcovers.com, that the MLB app has been updated with live activity support, which I'm sure you're pretty jazzed about. For the baseball, yeah. It's spring training right now, so the data is not consistent yet i assume that when the they get to the actual stadiums and the season begins the data will be more consistent so right now it's a little inconsistent but the way it's supposed to work and it works in some cases is you uh in the mlb app you set your favorite team or teams and then those teams when you're in the game view on the iphone uh there is a highlight for uh like under the game that says track this game and a little blue track button that you can tap and at which point when you close the 
the app, you get a live activity that is spawned. That is the the information about the game. And people have said, you know, sometimes some people have said that it's delayed a little bit. It's not really current. Um, other people have said that that's not an issue. I, I imagine again that this is all actually Major League Baseball working this stuff out uh, too, because again they're not playing real games now. They're playing. Uh, practice games as they get ready for the season and so we'll see how it goes during the regular season but it's a cool idea uh, also i can't can't find it in the ipad app which you know technically has live activities right like aren't there live activities on the live screen in the in the ipad or are there not no or is it they're not there at all okay well then I'll, well, let's just file that like why are they not there well this is all? that thing right you do i use the lock screen on my iPad all the time then you do why? widgets on ipad the next year right you do app library and then the next year so live activities this one i don't like it i know there's no dynamic island but there's still a lock screen that i'm on all the time for my ipad well because there are live activities on phones about dynamic islands right but not on the ipad there's no reason why they just didn't do it and so it will be the big thing of ipad os 17 or whatever sure so so okay so I'll, i'll then say this is exciting but again i just said earlier I don't use my iPhone that much. Yeah. So when I'm out and about, but then again, live activity, when I'm out and about and this live activity is on my phone for like the Giants game, uh, that'll be great, right? Here's a but question. it's not the primary use case that I would have for it, unfortunately, because that would be on the iPad. What about live activities for Apple Watch? Why doesn't that exist? I know. Uh, well, I would use it. I would love to have it on my Apple Watch, too, that there was a way. I don't know how that would work. Like just sitting there on the notification thing, you pull down, get your live activity. Well, I mean, you could argue that, I mean, there's like an MLB complication you could use, but I think there's some challenges there with data refresh, right? Like yep. I, that's that's my f- feeling about a lot of complications on the Apple Watch. I mean, and visual, like the amount of visuals you can have, right? Like, sure. Because what I'm thinking is you could fit in basically everything that's in the dynamic island into a notification on the Apple Watch that just lives in right. a notification drawer or whatever. Yeah, just swipe down and, and see what's going on. Yeah. Interesting. I, I mean, there, there's a real UI challenge there, but I would love to see them uh, find a way to use this infrastructure of live activities and which feels, uh, all this stuff feels like it sort of maybe even started with things for Apple Watch. And then they're like, oh, we could do this on the phone. And it's like, okay, but there's also the Apple Watch. That might be a good place to to put that sort of thing too. Like, um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting challenge, but I'd like to see more of it. Anyway, the MLB thing, I'll, I'll see how it works in practice in terms of like how up to date is it and all of that. But I love the idea. And I know that... Um, you know, some of our friends who have, like Stephen Hackett follows the NBA, and so he's been using mm-hmm. an app to do uh, NBA tracking for the Memphis Grizzlies, and like, it's a, it's a cool idea. I actually got uh, uh, my first uh, carrot weather, um, I can give you a live activity for the rain. Oh, I get these today. all the time, obviously. Well, <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, London. Uh-huh. Uh, but I got it today because we're in, we have lots of rain here right now. And, uh, that was, uh, that was kind of fun where it's like, yeah, I'll just put up a little live activity that tells you how long the rain's going to last. And, and, uh, you know, in 18 minutes, it'll stop raining theoretically. Um, and that, that's, that's fun too. I, I mean, I really do like, um, live activities. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing I use the iPhone the most uh, really honestly is podcasts. Cause I, I just do yep. all my overcast. Like when I'm, even when I'm like taking a shower, that's like with the iPhone. So I, it's not like I'm not using my iPhone. I should say, I do use my iPhone in very specific circumstances, but if I'm just sitting in the house, it's usually not, not with me. Not always. It's with me right now, actually. So I do, I do, I guess it does end up on my desk a lot where I'm looking down at the, uh, always on display. So you know, somewhat. But again, if somebody sent me a text, I would use my Mac because keyboard. 
the Oscars were last night, the Academy Awards. And yeah, Apple watched TV them. Plus won the animated movie short. For, so, so let me restate that. The Apple, Apple TV Plus animated movie, The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse, won the Oscar for Best Animated Short. That is a clearer yes. way of getting that across. So this is the movie that you re- may remember that Johnny Ive was an executive producer on. Mm. They just picked up, Apple's now picked up their second Academy Award. I don't think they were up for anything else of note. Uh, there was a Best Supporting Actor nomination for an Apple TV Plus movie that okay. and that, that person didn't win. But but congratulations to the the boy, the director, the mole, the writer, the fox, the, the producer, the horse, the designer, and the Johnny Ives. Yeah. Woody mm-hmm. Harrison was also, uh, and this one, this one just had a ton of people attached to it. Like Bad Robot is was producing it, and Woody Harrelson was executive producing it, and Johnny Ive too. That's a you know I don't know. There's a lot of people involved in the that that category often has like it's like uh, one person's labor of love, and then in comes this thing that feels like it was a very expensive, star-studded production, and and it wins the Academy Award. And I'm like, on one level, it's like great, and on another level, I think to myself. Come on, let, let let the let the guy in his basement who's been making a movie for five years win his Academy Award. But no, it was a uh, big budget and Johnny. That, it's that Johnny Ive magic. That's what it was. Yep, probably. Yep, yeah. It was originally a longer full featured movie, but Johnny just took scenes out until it was a short. That's right. It's minimalism. Yeah, uh-huh. that's what he goes for. <laughs> that's right. They, they they we took it into the white room and we edited it down. <laughs> It used to be the boy, the mole, the fox, the dog, the chicken, the 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 farmer, uh, the the ox, the horse and the hound and the fox, the horse and the horse's best friend who is also a horse. The and Johnny's horses. like, "This is too many things. So, too many things. Too many. Can we cut it back?" Yeah. And Good they move. originally set it at sea, but he didn't want there to be any ports in the movie, so. Oh hey, Zing! Hey. Also, oh, wow. uh, I I, uh, I wonder how he'll uh, you know if he gets his hands on that Oscar. Nobody let him get his hands on the Oscar because he's going to be like you know, can we make this minimal and could how about how about all white? What's the deal with Johnny Art? Anyway, so Apple, oh, man. the Apple Vision Accessibility Report Card has been released. I saw you also linked to this to six colors. Uh, this mm-hmm. was um, kind of an adaptation and progression of the six colors report card, but into a very specific area of Apple-related technology. Yeah. I will read from appleviz.com. We are thrilled to unveil our inaugural Apple Vision Accessibility Report Card, which provides valuable insights into the experiences and opinions of visually impaired community members who rely on voiceover, braille support, or the low vision features on Apple devices. It is a great idea, right? Like, take an area that, you know, if you are uh, knowledgeable about and write it in the same way that the Six Colors Report Card does too. I think it's really smart. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I love that they're taking. I think they asked every now and then. I get people who are like, you know, could I do a report card? And I'm like, yeah, like that. There, there is nothing about that format that is owned by anybody. So mm-hmm. be my guest to do that. Well, it's like as you mentioned, wasn't even your idea in the first place, right? So like, there, no, this is a community. Affair. No, it's Koyvin. <laughs> Koyvin suggested it to me. He said somebody should do this, and I said, okay, I'll do it. My first year, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, now I do the enterprise report card too, which will actually be coming out in a few weeks. Uh, where I ask IT professionals uh, in the Apple space how they are feeling about Apple's IT efforts. And so that's uh, uh, another spinoff of the premise. So I'm glad that uh, 
AppleFizz.com did this. It's a very cool idea. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. So you may have heard me and others talk about how important it can be to have a VPN to protect your privacy when you're connected to networks that maybe you're unsure of. But you also want to choose a VPN that you can rely on, one that you can trust. There are tons of VPN providers out there, but I choose ExpressVPN and why I'm happy to have them as a sponsor is for the things that they do and the software that they have created. So one thing which is just important for me, ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. Some VPNs could do this. They could use this data to make money, sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN can't do it. They developed a technology called Trusted Server, which makes their VPN servers incapable of storing data. They store data in RAM, so they can't keep logs. They also believe in speed. ExpressVPN uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. Sometimes if you use a, a VPN, especially if you do what I do sometimes, right, connect to uh, a server overseas so you can get around geo restrictions and stuff, it can really slow your connection down. But ExpressVPN is blazing fast to allow you to stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. I do this when I'm overseas to, to watch content that I would otherwise be able to watch at home. But because yeah. I'm away, they didn't let me do it. I assume you just did this, Jason. I just did this. Zealand. I literally just did this in New Zealand yeah. where I was watching HBO Max and Paramount Plus while in New Zealand uh, because I, uh, yeah, because I, I VPN back there with mm -hmm. ExpressVPN and it was, and it's, you have that moment where you connect the VPN and you're like, okay, well, let's see how bad the video streaming is. And it was full quality and beautiful. And I was even able to preload some stuff for my return flight um, oh, into those apps. Very cool. From uh, from New Zealand, which was great. Yeah, and and that comes down to ExpressVPN speed. It's also super easy to use. You don't need to read manuals or have any specific technical skills to set it up. You just install the app, open it, tap a button to connect, and that's it. Tons of websites rate ExpressVPN very highly. CNET, The Verge, Business Insider, they rated the number one VPN. So protect yourself with a VPN that I use myself and I trust. Go to expressvpn.com slash upgrade and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash upgrade. One last time, that is expressvpn.com slash upgrade to learn more. A thanks to ExpressVPN for the support of this show and Relay FM. Saddle up, Jason Snow. It's rumor roundup time. Yee-haw. So we're going I back said. to the well of MacBook Air, which I feel like there's so there is so much smoke around this these MacBook Airs right now. That's right. But is there fire? That's we'll the question. Out. Is there fire? We'll find out. Nine to five Mac has published a report of their own sources that say that the upcoming 13 and 15 inch MacBook Airs will be both announced together. And will feature an M3 chip. So we were questioning mm. about whether they would, whether they'd maybe release one and then the other later, you know, like M2 in the 15, M3 in the 13, but lay it down the line. They are saying that they will both be announced at the same time and will feature M3 chips. 9 to 5 also say that the M3 chip, the CPU, will have eight cores, the same as the M1 and the M2. But I guess what we're expecting is a increase hope potentially a significant increase right in the actual core the speed of each core because of the yeah, jump maybe. to three nanometer we'll see i mean yeah who knows and power efficiency too those are the things that there we come go. with that yep. yeah the current 13 inch macbook pro will also apparently be getting an m3 <laughs> upgrade i i, I don't uh, know why i hadn't thought about this but of course it's not going to go away of course apparently they said there was a there was an internal discussion which ended up not 
progressing about just renaming this to MacBook. I'm uh-huh. happy they're not doing that because if they ever do a MacBook again, I want it to be an actual product that they've created, not just like a this is an existing product and we've just renamed it. Sad, strange product that also the MacBook Pro is like literally, um, and I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but all evidence suggests this product exists specifically so they have something that uh, corporate buyers can buy and fulfill their policy of only buying professional systems Mm. by having this be a MacBook Pro, even Mm. though it doesn't make sense for any regular people to buy this thing. So in 9to5's reporting, the one thing that they weren't sure of is when exactly these products will launch. Like They were trying to kind of pinpoint potentially June, right, WWDC. But Ross Young is again saying that he believes that the 15-inch is expected to be launching in April. Now, the reason he would say that, and the reason I can understand why he is targeting that specific machine, is that's the change he can see in the product, in the like the uh, the factory lines. In the supply chain. Supply yeah. chain, that's the phrase I was looking for. Because the 13-inch is just going to keep looking like the 13-inch if you're a display analyst, right? Like, there's right. no new panel. But the 15-inch panel's new, so if he is aware, he seems to be aware of the fact that it is in a specific part of the process, which would indicate to him April is going to be the launch for this machine. So, these these reports are kind of at odds. Yes. It's, it's fascinating to me. I still don't know quite what to think. Ross Young being confident that the 15-inch is launching in April, I guess... And 9to5Mac being confident that they're going to launch together with an M3 chip. I guess the question is, is the M3 chip going to premiere in April? Like, less than a year since they premiered the M2 chip? That is a scenario, I guess. It's one that I had sort of discounted. I've been assuming all along that they would debut the M3 chip in June with the MacBook Air. But what if... You know, that was a delayed product last year. What if they're already at the point where they're ready to move on to the M3 and Ross Young doesn't have any visibility into the 13-inch because that's the same panel, as you said, and so therefore he's not going to be able to detect a change there. He can just see that the 15-inch panel is there. The 95 Mac thinking it will be later is a tougher one. I guess what that would suggest is maybe that what Ross Young is seeing is a supply chain that's that's cranking away on these things, but that Apple isn't going to put them up for sale right away and they're going to hold them for a little while. Yeah. Just to, to be clear, 9 to 5 don't have any sourcing on when. They're just right. saying that that's when they expect is WWDC. Right. And and I can understand it from right like everything we've said about like, but last year, so isn't it too soon and all of that? What's in Ross Young's favor here is that he's he is looking at Apple and saying Apple doesn't produce computers in volume and then just sit on them for months, right? I mean, they could they could produce them and put them on a slow boat and save some money and then have them ready to go, but it would mean that the M3 is producing now, right? It would mean which which there are, I've seen reports that suggest that that's not the case, um, that 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 process is not necessarily generating chips yet. So uh, the like the logic, the logic here in, in some ways is to say what Ross Young is really saying is there's going to be an M2 15 inch, and then later there'll be an M3 13 inch. 
Uh, but but that's not what nine to five Mac sources say, which is they're going to launch together. So it is they're they're a little diametrically opposed here. I I suppose the simplest solution is yeah. Turns out the M3 is ready, and then in April they're just going to say new MacBook Airs and also that MacBook Pro that we don't talk about. Uh, and their M3s, yay, moving on. And now now we've got two versions of the MacBook Air. Like that that could be it. It would certainly if they did that, it would certainly eliminate the weirdness of having you know, uh, a 15 inch that is an M2 that's trailing the 13 inch that's an M3 by months, by a few months, and therefore is, you know, lagging behind and that would potentially suppress. I'm not sure that many people would really care, but it would be, you know, uh, potential suppression of sales because it's the old chip and not the new chip. So it's mysterious, right? Like, I, I, I wonder what the sources are here and why this is happening this way. If I was gonna like put my like cards on the table with this one, I do not think this is a product we see at WWDC. I think they should not have anything at WWDC that isn't one hundred percent needed because right. it should be by our current expectations an absolutely packed keynote. And so spending time talking about a new MacBook Air doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. If you do have a Mac there, have it be the Mac Pro. But I, exactly. I agree, the MacBook Air is not a good fit. And the only reason they did it last time is because it was delayed quite a while. So, yeah. I, I mean, that is that is a definitely a good working theory, which is that they're actually back on track with the M3 and the MacBook Air. And, the, and that means that they're gonna it's going to be less than a year because that one was delayed so much internally that they announced it, you know, months after they wanted to, according to reports, that maybe they're back on track with this. And there's no, once you've got the M3 ready to go, like there's no point mm -hmm. in sticking around, like especially since you've got that MacBook Air design ready to go, the existing one, which none of us are expecting anything other than the M2 MacBook Air to become an M3 MacBook Air. And maybe yep. they'll tweak the colors or maybe they won't at all, um, but it'll be basically the same because they just redesigned it. So that design's going to stick around for a while. Um, and this probably the basis of the 15 inch design too. So, I mean, that'd be great. I would love to see MacBook and bring on like M3 MacBook Air next month. I'd love to see that yep. if, uh, if they can make that work, but it is a little funny that, you know, these, these, uh, sources are, are again, they seem to be colliding, but there are scenarios in which they actually do make sense together. They're just surprising. I think scenarios that we weren't necessarily expecting. This is a short one. Ming-Chi Kuo is reporting that Apple is set to launch a redesigned HomePod of a 7-inch display in the first half of 2024. Yeah. Please. I, I Yeah, I'm excited about this. This is the idea that, um, and I think Mark Gurman has reported about, like that they are working yes. on a lot of different, mm -hmm. this is like Apple's new home device strategy that they're actually working on and that this would be the first thing we'd see. And I know I detailed, I think in Upgrade Plus a few weeks ago, Mm -hmm. how I um, got rid of my Echo Show in my kitchen and replaced it with a Google Nest Hub. And uh, I wrote about that last week on Six Colors. It was great. It, it, was, it was a success. Uh, um, uh, I was, uh, you know, it, I was frustrated by all the junk that had been collecting on, on the Amazon Echo that Amazon kept shoving things onto the home screen and kept having the voice assistant interrupt me uh, basically, at any time I would ask it anything, it would it would tack on to the their answer uh, an ad for some other thing. You have a notification. 
Would you like three? Oh yeah, yeah. We do. We we are delivering or have delivered a package to you. Or yeah. by the way, did you know I do this thing? And it's like I got very frustrated. Um, I've been very happy happy with the Google device, which while not perfect, does the limited things that I want to do um, without getting in my way. But the truth is that in that moment of despair, where I finally said, "Let's just get the Google thing and see if it's better," I I definitely had that feeling of like I wish Apple would would do something here. Mm-hmm. Now we'll see what they implement, right? Like there, there's a lot of mysteries about what does a HomePod with the display look like? Like is that is it are, are there widgets? Is it TVOSE? Is it iPad OSE? Like what is it? I think there's some real questions there, a little mystery about how they decide to do that, but I'm hopeful that it will be a better fit than what I've, you know, what what I've currently got. And I'm really happy that Apple seems to actually care about uh, that category of the the uh, smart speaker with display, which they have thus far not been interested in. Came downstairs this morning, and my Echo Show was showing to me, why don't you ask, what is the dog breed of the day? <sighs> the problem is, yep. for me, I find that infuriating. There is mm-hmm. at least one person in my home that loves that and uh, always asks, what's the dog uh, breed of the day? Loves it. And so this is the issue that I'm in. I don't want any of that anymore. But we're at odds here, so oh no, there's nothing I can do about it. Someone finds it adorable. I find it maddening, but mm-hmm. here we are. Same, same. I just uh, all that, like all that junk that it puts on the screen that I don't like. You can't, you can, you can't avoid it. Even when it's putting good information on the screen, usually at the bottom, it's got like say this phrase, and it's just like it's so aggressive with its marketing and I, I just got tired of it. But the, the, the thing that put me over the top was the, by the way, interruptions, right? Where yeah, it's like, by the way, I just, I just want, or would you like me to enable that? I, I, I heard, I've heard that several times where uh, Lauren's in the kitchen and she's asked for a timer or something like that. Cause she's cooking dinner and it says, by the way, I can do this thing. Would you like me to do that? And, and she's like, no, right. Like, yep. it's like, no, get out of my way. That's not what I'm doing right now. It was my biggest issue is if I'm cooking, right. That's when I'm usually set, you know, that's when I'm using uh-huh. it the most. I'm setting timers and stuff. I'm cooking. I have my AirPods Pro in on noise canceling mode because I don't need to hear the cooking. I want to listen to a podcast or whatever. Yep. And so I say like, hey, set a 10 minute timer. And I hear. <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't know what's happening. Right. Like, what is happening to this thing over there? Oh, I hate it. But nevertheless, this is where I am. Let's see what Apple does. Yeah. Here's a fun Rorschach test for you. The Financial Times is reporting that Tim Cook sided with Jeff Williams on pushing Apple to launch their mixed reality headset this year. This is against the wishes of the design team managing the project, who have concerns that the product is not yet ready for launch. They have said that they would prefer to wait until a lightweight AR product is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like 2027? Yeah. Quote from uh, Mac Rumors via Financial Times, the company's industrial design team cautioned that devices in the category were not yet ready for launch and wanted to delay until a lightweight AR glasses product had matured several years later. Williams's team pushed for the mixed reality product, even though it would be more limited than what they could achieve in the future. Speaking to the Financial Times, former Apple engineers who worked on the device described the huge pressure to ship. So, yes, you're right. This is a real Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and you know, maybe depends on what you thought of that book that I didn't like. <laughs> um, 
about, oh, the design team, the heroes of the design team. I definitely raised an eyebrow at the idea that, like, because the story is not design team caution. The product was not ready to go and they needed to make some more tweaks and they should push it back a year. It's the the design team rejects your premise of a mixed reality headset mm-hmm. and says, let's not ship anything until we've created the perfect form, which is lightweight AR glasses, which will take another five years or, or longer. That, that seems to be the, the story here, right? And, and it is absolutely within the, the realm of reason for Tim Cook and Jeff Williams to be like, well, no, we're going to ship, uh, we're going to ship the mixed reality headset first. We'll get there, but we need to ship this. Uh, we need to ship a real product here, even though it's not, because I read this as almost like, this is not the idealized product that you dream of, but we need to ship something. I mean, I don't want to get into, you know, real artist ship Steve Jobs isms here, but at some point somebody has to decide, is this a product or not? And this sounds that this, that this one little passage is so weird because it's basically the industrial design team didn't think they should do a VR product. Just yes. said, we don't think you should do it. We think you should wait for the ideal product, which isn't going to happen for another five years. And that is so weird. And and it, I ranted about this when I ranted about that book, Trip Mickle's book, a little bit, that I appreciate the veneration that a lot of people feel for Apple's design team and for Apple's design-centric culture. Um, I've been following it forever, right? Like, I get it. But, you know... They also can get way too precious. Yep. And it you got to be able to say, you got to say, no, they don't run the company and they shouldn't run the company. And I actually would say this is the perfect example of why whatever the design team says is right is the wrong philosophy for any functional company. Because the design team here it seems to have, li- is living in a, an idealized they space want where perfection. it's like- perfection. We don't need to yeah. ship a product for years. We've yeah. been working on it. We've been spending a lot of money. We've got something that is a little bit clunky, like first-generation products often are. Why don't we just not ship it and continue to sit here in our space iterating and having you guys continue to work on new technology and spend more money and then you know call us in four or five years when you've got something that meets our standards? It's, it's totally ridiculous. So if this report is correct, it's like, I, and and the way it's I've seen it passed around is like, oh no, they overrode the designers. What a disaster! And it's like, how could you? It would be, I mean, it would be malpractice if you didn't override the designers when they just try to tell mm-hmm. you, yeah, that product you've been working on, we don't like it. You should just not ship it and uh, wait years until you invent something better. It's unbelievable. Yeah, we are in complete agreement on this one. Like, I think this is the right move. We haven't seen the product, right? But. If the you know it's all it's all on the marketing it. right, but you've got to you've got to do something at some point. You can't you're, just keep developing a product yeah, forever. You you're never going to get to the great product if you never ship a product, right? Yeah. That please show me, please show me the product that benefited from being delayed five years, and then when it came out, it was perfect. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. You've got to ship, 
and you've got to get it out there. Like they need to get it out there so that so the software can be picked apart, right? Like, and that first, the first version of this thing, it's probably going to have buggy software. It's going to have lots of weird limitations. And you know what? That's part of the process. Part of the process is saying this doesn't work right. And they're like, oh, wow, we didn't think of that. And then fixing it. And people really hate this thing about the product. Oh, we learned a lesson there. We'll make it better. But you got to get it out there. This is not the same thing as designers saying there are fundamental flaws in the headset, in the VR mixed reality headset that need to be addressed. And I'll point out that it has been delayed a, a, a while. It's perhaps those things also went on. But it's, a, it's one thing to say we need to fix things before this product ships. And another thing to say don't ship this product wait for the wait for it to achieve its final form because the final form doesn't get achieved by not shipping a product it just doesn't look there is obviously the asterisk of it could be atrocious but i think we're just sure. assuming that's not the case right like that it might it probably it will be i expect good at a bunch of things probably not great at any of those things but that's a version 1 like you know, this is a this honestly feels like with everything that we know about it currently, that this is the biggest kind of risk product that I can remember Apple mm. taking in the sense of like, it's super expensive, they're going super high end because they just feel that they got to get started. Yes. And so I, you know, I agree with this idea of like at a certain point, you got to draw a line in the sand and be like, as it. you say, you need to ship it and see how people react and then move on from there, which I would argue is probably what happened with the Apple Watch. Right? Yes. Because they shipped a product that is, aside from industrial design, completely different in idea and scope now to then. Mm -hmm. like, yeah. Yeah. And, and so and I they figured had, they And they had to stop. get it out there. Mm -hmm. They had to get it out there. They had to iterate. They had to, you know, get the feedback about like, they, they shipped that where the apps are running on the phone and all of that. And they, they knew that that was not going to be there in the long run and you know they could have waited another year i suppose but again you're just waiting to get started yeah you should probably just get started yeah. and i'm not advocating for shipping a product that is there is a bar right there is a bar to clear of like is this a viable product is this a product that is worth getting out the door and having the public see it but that's not the the bar can't be set at at perfect or at a different product because this doesn't even seem like an issue with apple's product specifically but in the idea that a mixed reality headset is inherently the wrong direction, which I don't right. agree with fundamentally. There, these, these headsets can be really great when done well, but it seems right. like that there are at least some people inside. And again, as we always say, you hear about this stuff, you've heard about it from the people that are the most angry, right? Like Cons Consider the source. Consider and, the and source. And Financial Times specifically says former Apple engineers who worked on the device. Right. So these are people who left Apple and are like, oh, so first off, how recent is their knowledge of this? But they're like, oh, they wanted to do this. But like, it, it feels very much yep. like what they're saying is, I never liked the idea of mixed reality. I'm in love with the dream mm -hmm. of those lightweight glasses that again, lightweight AR glasses. I just want to be clear here. The technology to make them doesn't exist, right? Yes. Like the reason Apple isn't making them today instead of this headset that's going to come out in the next few months, which is mind-boggling when you think about that, um, that we're, we're very close to that. The reason is it doesn't exist yet. Like it needs to be invented. It is not ready the, the, to do a lightweight pair of glasses that actually do proper AR. Like they can't do it. And so, 
you've got to, that, that's why I'm saying you've got to ship and you've got to iterate and you've got to build the next thing. You can't just sort of wait around for the, we, we're pretty sure this is the future, but it hasn't been invented yet. So we're going to wait around until we invent it and then we'll ship it is not a viable solution. But it sounds like that's what's happening by a bunch of former engineers who had worked on the device and probably fought their battles and maybe fought some battles about the existing headset and are frustrated about it. But the ideal headset you know, those glasses that those are perfect, right? Because they are just an ideal and don't really exist. So, uh, yeah, consider the sources here. It, it, this, this story doesn't suggest whether the product that's going to come out this year is good or bad, right? Like mm-hmm. it, 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 it is being read that way, but that's not how I read this at all. I read this as being like designers didn't want to ship it because they prefer the elegance of a product that doesn't exist. Yeah, and like something that Kate mentioned in the live chat is like about what the expectations and reality of the product is. And it may have been that when this project was first started, the idea was, let's try and make some AR glasses. But then along the yeah. way, realized, as you mentioned, oh, it's not physically we, we, possible to do that can't right do now. That. Yeah, so can't do that. So if you started in that place, Maybe you had these grand ideas of what it would be, but you've had to make a concession along the route. And I continue to maintain without ever seeing this product, this is the right move to go down because you got to start somewhere and it's best to just get it going and see what people say and see what people like, see what people don't like. There is a 100% a world in which even when AR glasses exist, well, I actually believe this is the case. Even when AR glasses exist, there will still be a, a desire and, and use case for a mixed reality product. Because mm-hmm. AR glasses will never be able to isolate you from an environment. And that is still an interesting thing to do for gaming and even for just right. immersion. And so I can still imagine Apple continuing to make some version of a mixed reality headset even once they've developed the technology for AR glasses. Yeah, well, I mean, you could maybe make AR glasses that also have a VR mode, but at that point, it's a little bit like uh, you're you're spending a lot of money to make very expensive things that are light and pass through, and then covering them up. You would need to like have these attachments, right? Like it would right. Be it's like flip flip concrete. down yeah. VR mode or something, and so you might just continue to have that separate product. I will I will recommend to everybody on connected. Was it last week? Last week, Federico. Yeah. So Mike and I have have been using VR for a while now. Uh, Federico is sort of new to it, and he's he's going through a a phase of his life where he's trying new things, which is great. And he got the he got the old time VR religion uh, last week on Connected, mm-hmm. like to the point where he's like, I I want to work in VR. I just I don't even need a display anymore. I can just use a VR display on my Mac and things like that. Right, which is pretty wild. But I think that there's some, there potentially is some truth to that. And uh, so I'll recommend that because I think his enthusiasm is fun, but also because I think he details pretty well all the different possibilities for this and, and why it's exciting that Apple's doing this. And I think you can believe that this is an interesting category that is going to push things in a lot of interesting ways. And that Apple, because it's invested so much time and money, Apple is trying to have the experience be the best one we've ever seen. It, 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 you can believe that and also believe that it will be very expensive 
and not do as much as it should and be frustrating in a bunch of areas. Because I think that in the end, that's kind of what you're going for, right? You're kind of going for a first-generation product that shows off how amazing this technology can be while also recognizing the fact that it is version one and that there's a lot of learning to do before we get to the the point where uh, it, 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 people feel better about about this and and that it, it feels better as a product. Like both of those things can be true. And I think if you do it right, that's that's your best case scenario. I think there's no scenario where Apple releases something and everybody goes, oh, they figured it out. It's fine. Yep. This is what it'll be like from now on. I just don't think that'll happen, right? It's it's a first version of the operating system and the app platform and all of those things. It's not going to be done. It's nope. going to be a start. But if they're if they can nail the other part, which is everybody sees the potential, that's what you build on. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by Capital One. At Capital One, technology makes direct deposits available up to two days sooner, improves fraud defense of machine learning, and helps businesses manage data challenges in the cloud with Slingshot, the first solution from Capital One software. Search technology at Capital One to learn more. Our thanks to Capital One for their support of this show and Relay FM. Capital One, what's in your wallet? So we're going to talk about yellow iPhone now. Oh, boy. Upgrade and Adams suggested that this segment should be called Color Grade. Uh-huh. Which... It's clever. I love. Mm-hmm. So that's what we'll call it. Up color Grade. Okay. There's a yellow iPhone. It's true. Boy, boy is there. I have it right here. a great job of making something <laughs> not exciting, <laughs> like interesting by producing... A live stream wearing yellow with lots of yellow things. Like, uh-huh. bravo to you on that one. Yellow. I had that moment where I thought, boy, if only I had a banana and a lemon, we could really go, go to town out. here. And I, I laughed and laughed. And then I thought, you know, I, I should probably do that. And I didn't have a banana or a lemon, but I did have a, a, a can of tennis balls and a play date and a barrel of monkeys uh, in, in yellow. And so, you know, we made and a yellow T-shirt, a hypercritical T-shirt and a yellow cow hat. And so we made it work. We did a dumb, I did a dumb thing for 10 minutes where I, and then people are like, you should compare it to the play date. And I had to go, I, I literally like got up and left and ran to the back of the house and got the play date and ran back and put it. It's just a very dramatic moment. Anyway, yes, there is a yellow iPhone. Uh, it is a yellow iPhone. Like, you know, I mean, we talked about it. They obviously see value in refreshing, in adding a color and refreshing their marketing, which I think is a big part of it, and giving getting an, another opportunity to talk about the iPhone midstream when it's been a while since we've talked about the iPhone. I think that, and, and since they've marketed the iPhone and engaged with people about like something new about the iPhone, because it sits there for six months. So, and, and then they refresh it a little bit and then that, that has to, keep it going so it's it's the smallest of updates but like they keep doing it in as the spring update every year so obviously they find value in doing it this way and when i ask them sort of like the the big question which is well you know why why not just do all the why, why do it now why not do it earlier and their answer is something like well you know now now our line is complete it's like a non-answer right because the answer <laughs> is even mean <laughs> like there was been a long delay on the yellow one <laughs> 
it was missing a color and now the color is there. And it's like, okay, but you could have done the, just never mind. Okay, fine. It's like, like Jason, we all you know don't the understand the order of nature. Yellow phones That's take right. longer Yellow, to make. Everyone knows it, this. Everybody knows it. So anyway, here they are. <laughs> and they got us talking about it. Literally, there's nothing new about it except that yeah. the iPhone is in uh, a, a yellow color and there are some new, it's their traditional thing, right? There are some new case colors and there new are some new bands. watch right. band colors and that's where we are. Yeah. I will say it again just because I have to say it, like I'm legally contracted to say it. Why can't we get a pro phone in any of these colors? <sighs> I would love a do. yellow iPhone pro, like just, but that color though, right? Like that color. I yeah. don't want like midnight lemon blue or like yeah or like midnight know? lemon is what it would be right it uh, would be like it would be like gold except not nice right dark, it would be just like muddy gold dark muddy gold right and and it's just uh, uh, the truth is, here's the truth the truth is back when they did the design decisions for these phones mm-hmm. so the what the 12 they decided that the pro phones would have the uh frosted glass back and that the uh, the camera bump would be matte or, or would be shiny, and they decided that the inverse would be true for the low end model. And as a result of that decision, you can't really make bright colors with that glass the way it is. It, you you could, I mean, it would be okay, but I think I think the truth is that it wouldn't look very good. Hmm. And um, and therefore, they're kind of, I mean, that that decision has meant that the iPhone Pro has been really boring and sedate the whole time and i think this whole generation the the low-end model looks better like the whole generation so i hope they address it when they redesign the iphones because um i hate it i again when we talk about this this color stuff we're not saying you shouldn't be able to buy a sedate phone right it's just like when we were talking about the imax like they make silver right like you can have your sedate we say boring but like you can have like something that's neutral that doesn't you know call attention to it because for whatever reason you prefer that that's fine but some of us would prefer a little color and apple is not willing to do that on pro devices and i i don't understand it yeah i mean you can buy just like a black regular iphone and a white one right like so mm-hmm. even though they have the colors in the regular ones you can still just buy standard right and then you get red a blue that that's I don't really the phone like that's the either. iphone i have right here is it's it's black basically it's like the the very dark gray back with the black camera bump it's fine but anyway yellow iphone yellow apple music classical let me give you a bit of history uh-huh. for those that are not deep in the classical lore uh, in 2021, Apple bought a company called Primephonic, and this was their thing. I think they were a classic music streaming service. And with this, when they announced it, promised a new Apple Music Classical app by the end of the year 2022. So it wasn't going to be a integration into Apple Music. It was going to be like a brand new app by the end of 2022. That obviously that did not happen. Nope. Uh, Apple has now announced a pre-order in the App Store for the Apple Music Classical app, which will be launching on March 28th. Dun, 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 dun. Excellent. 
I'm so proud of you right now. Da-na-na-na. Some details about Apple Music Classical. Uh, a lot of these came from a post on Mac Rumors with information that, like, I'm not sure how they got unless somebody at Apple told them this information, which is good, right? Because there was no press release. So, like, information about this application, hard to get. It is going to be available at no extra cost to Apple Music subscribers. It will support spatial audio with Dolby Atmos and high-res lossless, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think the high-res lossless makes the most sense. Visually, it looks like Apple Music, but they're using the Serif New York typeface rather than the San Francisco typeface, which I find very funny. Sure. Uh, it is going to benefit from complete and accurate metadata to make sure you know exactly what and who you are playing, which is a very fun way to phrase that. That was actually from the App Store yeah. page. Learn while you listen with thousands of composer biographies, descriptions of key works, and more. The app will offer over 5 million tracks, hundreds of curated playlists, and thousands of exclusive albums. Apple has commissioned unique artwork of famous artists for Apple Music Classical using color palettes and artistic references from their relevant classical period. The Yep, just like that That's that When you open the app, it just plays that constantly. Classical music fans out here are like, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What Beethoven's I love, Fifth and Ode to Joy, the two most obvious classical music selections. I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry, a, I'm riffing here. Okay, such a normie. Uh, I what know, I, I really like it's is true. that in the Apple Music Classical App Store page, they have one of these images of Beethoven, where he does not look happy to be inside of Apple Music Classical. That's Beethoven. He He's looks real mad. He's real mad mm-hmm. about being locked inside of this application, and he doesn't want anything to do with it, and he's not happy about it at all. So this is really interesting. Cheer, thing. cheer up, cheer this, up, Beethoven. Cheer this up. app is interesting for me, not because of what it is. It's more like what it's not doing. So like, it will not have a Mac app. It will not have an iPad app. It will have an Android app. Yeah. The iPad, so it shows up on my iPad. So I keep thinking that what's going to happen is it's going to launch and it's going to have the Mac app running on the iPad, which is, you know, not, not so great. But it does show up. But they've said, uh, I've seen people saying that they've had confirmation from Apple that there is no iPad or Mac app. It is iPhone only. That that's fine, except it shows up in the in the App Store on my iPad, which leads me to believe that I'll be able to run it on my. iPad oh yeah, I mean, in the iPhone, like iPhone compatibility mode. But that's so sad, right? That's, that's no good. It's so sad. Well, okay, so yeah, and and the, and no Mac app. And and that's not great. I, the positive thing here, and if for people who are wondering, like people who love classical music, they tend to listen to music in a very different way than people who like popular music do, mm-hmm. right? Like the pop music, and that's what iTunes and now Apple Music is based on, is pop music singles and things like that. It's like you get an artist in a song and it's kind of canonical and that's what it is. Whereas my understanding is classical music, you're not you're not saying, find me some Beethoven. Mm, sweet, sweet Beethoven Fifth Symphony. Let's do it. You're like, I want to listen to this performance by this orchestra right like like lots of details about specific performances of works because the works are performed a lot and you want to you want to drill down and get like a particular one and uh, uh, pop music you know there are cover versions and stuff like that but basically it's like the version give me that song and so you need to have something like what prime phonic tried to do which is the you know a, a good classical database and also a different interface which is why it's a different app and i know i've heard from people who are like 
why not just make classical experience inside the Apple Music app better? And I think the answer is, yes, that would be great. I suspect that Apple Music's architecture would have required lots of changes to the Music app, and they probably had a code base from Prime Phonic, and they're like, let's just leave music alone. I mean, I expect this is just like what happens with Beats. I expect the team that is working on this is Prime Phonic. Like, the old people that made Prime Phonic mm-hmm. have been sucked into Apple, and they made this. Like, that's what I expect has happened here. So, yeah. but I just find the, like... Not having an iPad app is just weird to me. It's just weird to me. It's like, I feel like you just should. Like, they should just be taught, no. Like, because you can, if you, you know, if they they have this whole thing of, like, a bunch of information, maybe it would look really nice to read composer biographies and descriptions of key works on a bigger screen, like on an iPad. Like, I just find it, it frustrates me because it's like, it just looks like they don't care about it, right? And it's just like, well... I don't like that. Like the Mac, fine, whatever, right? Like they don't want to make a Mac app, don't make a Mac app. But like, like you know, like whatever, right? Like right. But you make an iPhone app and you make it a Catalyst app. Pro- again, that's probably all coming. That's my guess. My guess is that part of the the product uh, pathway here, because remember they missed their deadline already, and now they're shipping this thing, right? Like the product pathway is probably. Yeah, and, and but I don't know. if We mentioned it. Apple Music. If you're an Apple Music subscriber, you get this. It's not an extra anything. And, and uh, although weirdly, unless you're in China, Japan, Korea, Russia, Taiwan, Turkey, Afghanistan, yes. or Pakistan, yeah, because they're not licensed or whatever there. Yeah. So the the product pathway probably is that there will be an update that supports the iPad, and that and then they will probably have a Catalyst version yeah. beyond that that you'll be able to run on the Mac. That, I really that's, hope that's so. almost certainly where it's going. But they clearly like couldn't get it done in order to get it out by the end of, of March, which is already three months after their self-imposed deadline slash promise about this. So I think this is great. I, I, I love, they're, they're like classical music people. Like we talk about, we talk about how the app store is distorted by the fact that it's based on iTunes, which means it's based on the single hit single model. Um, and how that has affected so much about what the app store is because they, they took uh, off, off their own shelf. They took, a music sale engine and turned it into a software sale engine. But it's also worth thinking about the fact that there are, are kinds of music that don't fit the pop single model either. And classical is the best example of that. I do wonder if there are other, I, w- I was talking to Dan Morin about this. I wonder if like soundtracks, you know, other stuff like that, that's not quite classical, but is not a great fit necessarily for, uh, Apple Music. If if the, there'll be some of that in here too, I don't know. I just don't know. But I, I'm glad that they're doing it. It, it. The the technical details are perplexing, right? This is an Apple. Fundamentally, Apple is launching a new service with an app that only runs on the iPhone, and that is wild, right? Like if you're an iPad user, if you listen to music on your iPad, and you're like, well, wait a second, what about me? And the answer is, eh, sorry, not yet, at least. It will be available. This is an app that I mean, I will download and look at it, but like I don't know what I'm doing in there. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'll I'll give it I'll give it a whirl. Hopefully, there'll be some content in there for for beginners, right? To say like, here's here's a, a style point. to try, or here's they a thing to try. That. And it's like for for Jason, it'll be like Beethoven will be there, and it'll be like Jason, don't tap on Beethoven. The only music that you seem to be able to generate that's classical out of your brain for some reason is Beethoven. Try. Have you tried Anything Mozart? Yeah. You could try that. Give that a try too. Tried I, I tried to think of a 
a, a third song that that I could I could sing now of classical, and I realized I was like, oh yeah, I know for Elise, also Beethoven, also Beethoven. What is it with you know? I I I think I did have a when I was uh, when I took piano lessons as a kid, they would give you little plastic statues. They're like Funko Pops, uh, except they were Funko Classicals essentially uh, little statues of uh, classical per- per- uh, performers uh, or uh, composers. And I, I know I had Chopin, but I'm pretty sure I had a Beethoven where he's scowling because all images of Beethoven, he's scowling. He is a very, just a grumpy guy. Immortal Beloved, interesting movie. Check it out. Gary Oldman, I think, is mm-hmm. Beethoven in that. Anyway, that, also I have exhausted my classical music movies, knowledge now. If you're interested. Oh yeah, Ahund Namas Beethoven in German, the yeah. uh, Beethoven uh dog movies you can get those too those are great and uh of course you can uh you can do amadeus you can watch amadeus which is uh, we watched for the incomparable actually last year and uh is a legitimately great movie just an amazing movie um so that that's all about mozart folks so what's the connection there i don't i have no idea amadeus is about mozart it's about mozart it's about Mozart. Well, it's about the guy who's Mozart's rival, who's very frustrated with how talented Mozart is. And Mozart's kind of like a rock star. He's a misbehaving guy. And yeah. the guy who's been putting his entire career, who's played by F. Murray Abraham, who won the Oscar for that role. Oh. Like, he he is he is uh, so angry at Mozart and hates Mozart because Mozart's just so effortlessly talented. And he just is a grinder who has ground his way to being the, the court musician for the what the 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 austrian empire or whatever and uh and sorry for the impromptu summary of of amadeus but uh having watched it i watched it as like a teenager and i was bored by it but as an adult watching amadeus it's so it's so good so yeah there that could be a double feature amadeus and immortal beloved you'll get your mozart you'll get your beethoven and then uh download your iphone app i guess and i'm assuming amadeus amadeus nothing to do with it uh well i mean that's about that's about Mozart. Yeah, uh, but not the, the movie, Rock though. Me Amadeus yeah. by Falco. Uh, it is. It is. It is the, the that's the whole idea, right? Is that uh, what? How does that ever ein superstar ever so popular? Uh, he was a yeah. It's like uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a uh, rock star of his time, and uh, and yes, Mike, you've zeroed in on it. Rock Me Amadeus, inspired by the movie. Rock Me Amadeus themes very similar to the themes in the movie Amadeus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Falco. Rest in peace, Falco. I'm naturally assuming, Upgradians, you got what you expected from this segment. Right? Like, you weren't expecting anything more than this. Right? Yeah. It's we're really experts in this. Uh-huh category uh-huh. but uh I'm, I'm very excited for my friends who are classical music fans because yeah uh suffice it to say modern streaming services like apple music and spotify not that great like apple music specifically like not that great if you're a classical music fan itunes historically has been not that great we at macworld kirk McElhern uh, wrote I don't want to, it wasn't dozens, but many articles about how to try to tame your iTunes library for classical use because it was such a mess. So this has been the case for a long time. So I'm very excited for classical music fans who are using Apple's music ecosystem that they're finally going to get something that will hopefully serve them well. So that part, that, that part's great. And, and yeah, go see Amadeus. It's great. 2nd of August, 2016. Got an article here from Kirk McElhern, I think, on his own website. 
Apple is yeah. finally making iTunes better for classical music. Yeah. Well, they they, they progress. Mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to what Kirk has to say about it because Kirk yeah. is a bit of a grumpy guy. This actually, is your time, but, Kirk. But he cares. Kirk, so rise to the occasion, Kirk McElhern. Do it. I mean, this is this is. I can't wait to see what he says about this app when it launches at the end of the month because uh, that that he'll be a. Uh, 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 he's the perfect audience for this kind of thing. Rock me, McElhern. <laughs> if you enjoy this show and want more of it, you How should is subscribe to Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com. Just $5 a month or $50 a year. It will get you tons of bonus content throughout the year. We have every month there are new bonus shows that go out to Relay FM members, behind the scenes content, interview content with some of your favorite Relay FM hosts, access to our wonderful Discord community, which is always popping off with loads of fun stuff. People have a great time there. But the reason we're saying this to you now is every single week you will get ad-free versions of Upgrade with additional content. Sometimes it's challenges. We have our next challenge that we're working on. We're doing that in the next couple of weeks. Today, I think we're going to talk a little bit about video previews as a thing for the show that we're considering. So we're just going to talk through that. So sometimes we have additional content. Sometimes we have challenges. Sometimes it is also behind the scenes of what we're thinking about here on the show. So if you enjoy Upgrade and want to help support the show, go to getupgradeplus.com. It's time for some Ask Upgrade questions. Probably a good time for that. Grant wrote in and says, my 2017 10.5-inch iPad Pro has broken. I bought it at launch for £620. What iPad would you suggest to replace it now? The current iPad Pro is significantly more expensive, but the iPad and iPad Air lose features like ProMotion. Well... I look, Grant. Uh, only you can decide. But I, my suggestion, since you're asking, my suggestion is the iPad Air, which I know is not quite as fully featured as the current iPad Pro. But you've got a 2017 iPad Pro, so it's back a little bit. You got you got like a home button on that thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I think it is. It is right. And and does he have promotion or not? Yes, it does. It does have promotion on it. Yeah, I believe that device was the first iPad to get promotion. To have promotion. Yeah. yeah. So so this is I would probably say unless the promotion thing is is, you know, going to kill you. Like get the iPad Air. It, it, it's a it's a good deal. It is basically like an iPad Pro uh in so many different ways and yet uh is cheaper. And so I would say that's probably what you should do. Um if you could get a deal on a on a iPad Pro, then then you could go that way. But I feel like the iPad, and also there's you know rumors that next year the iPad Pro is going to get redesigned, right? So you'd be getting mm-hmm. the last of the existing iPad Pros. You could do it again if you can find a deal or a refurb or something like that. But the iPad Air, I think, is the best buy just sort of in general if you can stand to lose some of those uh, very specific iPad Pro features because you'll save some money. I realize now that there was a story that I should have included in Rumor Roundup, which is about these OLED iPad Pros. We'll talk about that right. next week. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm glad we didn't break that seal because there's a whole thing that spins off of those about what is Apple doing with the iPad Pro. So we'll yeah. save that for next time. We'll save that for next time. What, I'm, what I will say is, like, I, if you can get a good deal, right, on a third-gen 11-inch or something, then... You should maybe look at that. 
But realistically, I would say to go to the iPad Air. It's a great device. You'll lose, I think, only like two features. You you get stereo speakers rather than the like the or like two speakers rather than the four speakers. I guess they're all in stereo. Uh, and it's ProMotion. But that iPad is great. You still got Touch ID. Uh, I would recommend that one. I think if out of that line right now is actually the pick I make to anybody now. Like I think that iPad Air is kind of just like the best iPad for most people. The iPad Pro in its current iteration in the 11-inch, that's not worth it. Caleb asks, how are those Playdates doing? Great. I took mine to New Zealand and played it a little bit on the oh, yeah? uh, Inter-Island Ferry uh, and some other places. And and uh, there's still some games that I really like on it. And now there's a bunch of new games that have come out um, as a part of the launch of the new basically app store yep. for Playdate. You can still sideload things. It's not like an Apple app store, but they have this new app called Catalog that has a couple of free games and then a whole bunch of games you can buy. And, uh, you know, it's great. I don't play it. Like I've said before, I don't play it as much as I thought I would, mostly because of the fact that it's not backlit. And so I am sometimes in situations where I think about playing it and there's mm-hmm. not enough light. Mm-hmm. And that's too bad that that's the way it is, but that's the way it is. And nobody has made a clip-on playdate light yet. So this is where I am right now. But I do um, I do love it. And, and I love the software is obviously done with great care and love by people who are uh, who they just love video games and uh, devices like the Playdate, and so you've got a, you know, nobody. I think nobody is making games for the Playdate because it's a cash grab, right? They're doing it be- for the love of the genre, and that comes through too. Yeah, I've uh, I haven't touched mine for a bit. Like I, pl- you know, I played a bunch of games, a bunch, um, and then I was done with the games that I wanted to play from the first season. There is one or two that I still haven't checked out that I've been meaning to, but I. Uh, I've booted up and downloaded the catalog thing, and I want to go in and, and poke around with some of those games. My favorite Playdate game, Bloom, uh, which I've sideloaded, is, is in the catalog. It's one of the catalog games, and they've updated it. I need to go in and check. Like, What I would like to be able to do is download this new version, and it keeps my save file from my sideloaded version. I really hope that's the case, because I don't want to play through mm. the whole game again to get to the new content. But Bloom is an incredible experience uh, of a game. It, it's like a beautiful narrative game uh, with some kind of like um, farming kind of ideas. It is wonderful. I, I love it. And they've made it as part of their catalog, which I'm not surprised about because I think it's a triumph of a game on that platform. But yeah, I love the Playdate. I'm really looking forward to their stereo dock because I just think that will be really fun as a thing to buy. And I really wish that the Jack Jason would just make a clip on life of the thing like, like you used to get for Game Boys. I think in a different timeline wherein it was easier for them to have made the playdates because they're still shipping yeah. from the original orders. Like they're still shipping them, yeah. which is incredible. It was this wonderful success, but also complicated. Uh, I reckon they would have made more accessories like that. Like the, the Bluetooth dot, they announced when they announced the thing, and they just were like, we had to put that thing on hold because we had to actually make these things. Um, and they have now increased the price. So it's going to be, I think, 199 which. One ninety nine is difficult, right? You're basically a Nintendo Switch now, but it is a wonderful, unique experience. I think it's only twenty dollars different. Like, but the, yeah, that's right. It's just a different thing. It's just a, a different kind of object, mm-hmm. and the people it appeals to, it appeals in a very particular way. Like, and if you want a Nintendo Switch, um, you know that that's like, 
I know that they're both handheld game devices, but boy, they're they're not the same yeah. at and all. And of course, you get games, right? Like with yeah. with the Playdate, that's like twelve games. Like it is a wonderful thing that I recommend people check out. If you like games, I think you'll enjoy it because it's like, especially if you like indie games, and you can tell yeah. the love that goes into the entire thing. Like it is something yep. that I I adore my little Playdate. I had so much fun with that thing, but I. Just haven't tried it. I haven't picked it up in a while, but I'm, I'm going to. Mitch asks, do you think Apple, this is the perennial question, will stick with the numbering scheme of the iPhone all the way up to iPhone 17 and beyond? I note this because it would be the first three-syllable iPhone name. So I wrote down a potential name today, which is iPhone 17 Pro Max. Yeah. That's a long name. Like, to just many syllables. It is. I don't know how they get off the the train at this point, right? Yep. I, I just, I feel like they're on it now. I, I don't know what to, what can be done. Like, as long as they're selling old models, they can't just call it the iPhone 2023, right? They can't do it. They have to specify what model it is. And the Tim Cook strategy of, you know, we're still selling the iPhone 16 and we're still selling the iPhone 15 and we're still selling the iPhone 14. Like that that strategy where it takes a long time for it to kind of coalesce into an SE is going to continue, I think. And that's the result, which is they got to name these things unique names mm-hmm. and the number, it, it is what it is. Like I, I would have preferred them to go to the year at this point. Right, so that it would be the iPhone 23 comes out in 23, but they don't seem to want to do that. I mean, it's so, still an, it's still just an ever increasing number. It's just it, a different yes, number. It, it's just a different number. Yeah, yeah. it's absolutely true. A couple of points. Zach points out 3GS as three syllables. Yeah, but I think it's different. And uh, David says hopefully they'll drop the Pro from Pro Max, but if they do, they'll probably make it Ultra, which is still two syllables, so we're back to the same problem again. I think the problem is just like 17 Pro... It's just like so much. Like, you just keep going on forever. 17 Pro Max. It's just so many. It's just such a big name. It's just so big. But whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they're just gonna... What is, as you say, what else are they gonna do? Just call it iPhone. Yeah. Not, not, they can't do that. It's too complicated. I know they do it with other products, but it's too complicated for the iPhone. As long as they're not replacing them every year, but keeping them around for longer than a year for cheaper, they can't do that, right? Like they can't say, this is the iPhone and that's the, also the iPhone. They can't do that. Yep. They could, if they if they discontinued it every year and replaced it with new models, they could do what the MacBook Air does, right? Which is just, it's the MacBook Air. Or the iPad, right? The iPad's the or same. Or the iPad. Like, exactly. But, if they keep them around, they can't do that. Mm-hmm. And that, and they keep them around. That's part of the big iPhone strategy. So, and they're not gonna. Uh, I'll put it this way: they're not gonna change that strategy just to make the num- the names more satisfying, right? The, if they change that strategy for other reasons, they could say, "Hey, wait a second, we can we don't need to do the name thing anymore." But I I just don't see any signs of that happening. No, neither do I. So we're just gonna keep getting those names longer and longer and longer. iPhone two hundred and sixty four Pro Max. 
And David Schaub points out, yeah, it actually is a problem with the MacBook Air because there's the M1 MacBook Air and the M2 MacBook Air. That is true. But there they're using the, the chip basically as a differentiator, but it's complicated, right? Because they've left the old model around. But you're right, the iPad is a good example. Uh, even there, the iPad, there's the ninth generation and the 10th generation, and you see... But they don't care about that. <laughs> you know what? That's how it bites you, though, is that now we're, now we're using parenthetical names that are confusing. It's worse than saying iPad 9. And we will always do that, though. Like, even if... This is the thing. It's like, even if Apple do this, they'll drop, we'll still use ways to describe each model year, right? Sure, we will. But but there'll be there'll be con- consumer confusion. The Because right? the consumer will just be like, iPhone this, iPhone that, mm-hmm. right? Like, how, how do I even do that? So I just, I feel like they're on this path now and I, I have a hard time imagining them changing as ridiculous as it is, you know, to say iPhone 17 or iPhone 23, that seems to be where we are. I I don't know. It's weird. If you would like to send in an Ask Upgrade question for us to answer on a future episode of the show, go to UpgradeFeedback.com where you can leave feedback, follow-up, snow talks, Ask Upgrades, whatever you like. There's also a link in your show notes. It's right, I think, at the very top or one of the top two links in your show notes in every episode in your podcast app of choice. So you can go there and leave us some questions or follow up for a future episode of the show. Thank you so much to everybody that does. Much appreciated. This was episode 450 of Upgrade. Until next time, if you would like to check out Jason's work, go to sixcolors.com. You can also hear his podcast at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM. You can listen to my shows here on Relay FM as well and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. We're both on Mastodon. You can find Jason on zeppelin.flights as at jsnell. And you can find me on mike.social as at imike. You can send us your feedback and questions at UpgradeFeedback.com. Thank you to our members who support us of Upgrade Plus. If you would like to sign up, go to GetUpgradePlus.com. Thank you to Capital One and ExpressVPN for their support of this show. And most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody. 